Hello, this is Don Mockholtz, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 122, for the week of May 4th, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com, two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, May 4th, the moon is a crescent in our evening sky, entering the constellation Gemini. It reaches first quarter on Monday, May 9th at 0020 Universal Time, which for those in the Western Hemisphere is on Sunday evening. By next Tuesday, May 10th, the moon will be 60% full and in the constellation Virgo. In the evening sky, we still have the planet Mercury, but it will set about four minutes earlier each night And by the end of this week, you will not be able to see it. We had hoped that Comet C-2021-03 pan stars would be visible in binoculars. It reached perihelium, its closest point to the sun, two weeks ago and has been lost in the evening twilight since then. Well, now it's far enough from the sun that it should be visible. But reports from around the world indicate it is much fainter than expected, probably around magnitude 9. I suspect it will get fainter, not just because it's moving away from the sun, and and comets typically do that, but because it has begun to disintegrate. Typically, in the process of disintegration, comets continue to dim as they fall apart. In the morning sky are four planets, Saturn, Mars, Jupiter, and Venus, still form more or less a line. Venus continues to move away from the other three. Well, actually, it's those three are moving away from Venus. On May 9th and 10th, periodic comet 22 Koph passes a half of a degree north of Mars, with Mars being the closer object, and the comet is about three-tenths of an astronomical unit behind Mars. An astronomical unit is the average distance between the Sun and the Earth. The comet will be rather faint, about 11.5 magnitude, but you might want to give it a try. Some of the sunsets and sunrises recently have been red or orange, not the typical blue sky we normally see. This appears to be due to volcanic dust in the air. Perhaps some of you are seeing that too. This Saturday, May 7th, is Astronomy Day, a time to set up your telescope and show people stuff in the sky. For daytime viewing, the sun has a few sunspots, 
And in the evening, the moon will be about 40% full and a, a few degrees north of M44 in the constellation Cancer. The moon is always a great object to show because many people have seen it their whole lives, but never as good as it looks through a telescope. Now, here's a simple playlist for Saturday night as seen from the Northern Hemisphere. And when we used to do public star parties in Northern California, usually I put together the playlist for, for the other astronomers and myself to use. Begin with the moon before the sky darkens. That allows your guests to get used to looking through the telescope when they can still see the telescope. Then you go on to a few bright stars. Betelgeuse, the red giant, is setting in the west. We like to show a blue star, red star, and a, perhaps a yellow star. So Betelgeuse would be your red star. For the blue star, pick Spica or Regulus. And for a yellow star, pick Arcturus. Next, we would go on to a double star, Alcar and Mizar. They both look good. Or perhaps Corcorii. Now we move on to some open star clusters while, while trying to avoid the moon. M35 looks good, as does M37 and M36 and 38. They're all in the northwestern sky. Next up, we would show a few globular clusters with M13 and M5 in the eastern sky. M3 is higher up, and it shows well, too. Now for a galaxy with the moon up. M94 is condensed enough to look good in light-polluted skies. And the M81, M82 group is great, too. Then go back and show the moon and send everyone home happy. Even here at the ranch, when I give a sky tour, I have two or three telescopes. I will find my first object and announce it to the guest. And here at the ranch, it's usually only two or three people. And I'll tell them what's in that telescope. Then I walk over to the next telescope and find the next object and announce that. If I have a third telescope set up, I do the same with that one, too. I have had to learn how to do that over the decades. In the mid-1990s, I was asked by the ranger, Ranger Phil Sexton, to host star parties at the Big Bend area of Northern California. Now, this is right off of Interstate 80 near Cisco Grove and Rainbow Lodge. For the first few sessions, it was just me with three telescopes, including my two-inch refractor and two six-inch telescopes. I recall one time I was showing objects to the public, and a bus rolls up, and about 15 or 20 more people came out. So I had three telescopes to use, and I kept them busy the whole time. A week from this Sunday, on Sunday night, Monday morning, May 15, 16, we have a total lunar eclipse coming up. This is one of the top astronomical events of the year, so start planning now. 
those of you in the western states of North and South America might want to find a place where you have a low southeastern horizon because shortly after the moon rises, it will go into eclipse. So it will be in the southeastern sky. I will be discussing the lunar eclipse more next week. We have a meteor shower coming up this week, the Edda Aquariids. These are meteors that originate from Halley's Comet. Now, Halley's Comet is in a retrograde orbit. It goes around the sun one way, and we go around the sun in the opposite direction. These particles are from the comet as it is leaving our inner solar system, and they have been deposited here by the comet over the last few centuries. The shower peaks on Friday morning, May 6th, but the days on either side of May 6th will also show a few meteors. The radiant, the area in the sky from where the meteors appear to come from, is in the constellation Aquarius, about 10 degrees north of the planets Saturn and Mars. This means the radiant will rise around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning after the moon has set. You can expect to see about 15 meteors per hour. So wait until the moon sets and look to the east or south about halfway up in the sky. Most of us have a very wide field of view with our unaided eyes, so you can cover a lot of sky this way. The southern hemisphere of the Earth is favored for this shower, but even the northern hemisphere can see a good show. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, May 4th through Tuesday, May 10th? It depends upon where you are located. This week, we have four zones. Now, all you need to know is your latitude. Two areas will not see the International Space Station this week. North of 64 degrees north, you won't see it. And from the equator to 35 degrees north, you will not see it. In the northern hemisphere, between 35 degrees north and 64 degrees north, it will be in your morning sky while you're out watching meteors. In Canada, England, Chicago, and Turkey, you might see it twice per morning. In the southern hemisphere, between the equator and 55 degrees south, the ISS will be in your evening sky. And from Australia and New Zealand, you might see it twice per evening. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. We do have a few comets still visible. Those in the evening sky compete against the moon this week. And as mentioned earlier, Comet Cough is near Mars. The comets are plotted on podcast 122, that's this one, maps 1 and 2, which you can get from my website. But for more accurate positions, go to the heavens-above.com website and click on Comets. 
How can you see better? Ten months after I began systematic visual comet hunting on January 1st, 1975, I switched from a four and a quarter inch reflector to my new 10 inch reflector telescope. I was hoping that with this larger telescope I could see fainter objects. I was wrong. That was because I was sweeping from Concord, California, population back then about 40,000 with the associated light pollution. My 10-inch telescope, the new one, had a short focal ratio, f3.8, a short tube, but it gave me a wide field of view. The other telescope, the four and a quarter inch one, had a longer focal ratio, f5. It was the light polluted skies that prevented my larger telescope from performing better. It was then that I started commuting to dark sky sites around Concord, like the town of Clyde by the Naval Weapons Station. And for a while, I set up in the parking lot of the Concord Pavilion, which at that time was being constructed. As 1975 progressed, I continued my comet hunting and did not find any comets. But others did. And so there were undiscovered comets out there while I was comet hunting. By the next year, I put together my comet hunting theory. And that has guided me since that time. The comet hunting theory breaks down the process of searching for a comet into three areas. If you meet all three conditions, you will find a comet. Here are those three conditions. Number one, position. You must be looking at the comet. That sounds simple, but there are 40,000 square degrees and you cannot look everywhere at once. Number two is brightness. It must be bright enough for you to see it. And number three is timing. You must find it before others. Do all three, and you find a comet. With every comet visually discovered by someone else, I analyzed it where it was before it was discovered and where I had been sweeping when the undiscovered comet was in the sky. Not always, but often I had swept over the comet before it was discovered and missed it because it was too faint. That is factor number two. It must be bright enough for me to see it. I was covering the area that the comet was in, and I was often there before it was discovered. I simply had to see fainter objects. As a result of my research and experience, I came up with the three areas that I needed to work on to see faint nebulous objects. They are in this order, eyes, skies, and telescope. Yes, yes, I know. Many amateurs simply say, 
I need a bigger telescope. That happens all the time. It is called aperture fever. Now, why didn't I buy a larger scope? Two reasons. I did not want to spend my money on one. And number two, a larger scope would mean a smaller field of view, and I would cover less sky. I was good at covering sky. I just needed to see deeper. Eyes are a major factor in how well we see nebulous objects. I often thought about Steve O'Mara and Alan Hale. Both have good eyes and do very well in small to moderate telescopes. Now, genetics might play some role, but you can practice seeing fainter objects. So I began in my off time, when I wasn't comet hunting, to look for and see faint objects, as faint as what I could see in my telescope. Using an eye patch and keeping stray light from reflecting off my telescope helped too. And being dark adapted, which takes time. Practice, 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 and you will get better. Next is the sky. Seeing faint things is a matter of contrast. And under dark skies, you can see better. So find a dark sky site from where to do your astronomy. It does make a big difference. Finally is the telescope. A large mirror, a large aperture will gather more light than a small one for viewing stars and point sources. But the improvement is not that clear cut for nebulous objects. Contrast is, again, the name of the game. And all things being equal, a longer focal ratio will darken the field of view more than it will darken the object. Now, once again, I did not want to go out and buy another telescope. But I realized if I were to do it again, buying the 10-inch telescope, perhaps an f5.5 or f6 would have delivered better contrast with some reduction of the field of view. Of course, the smaller field of view means I cover less sky. But I did manufacture a negative lens, and I placed it in my telescope tube just before the secondary between the main mirror and the secondary to increase the focal length slightly. And I made another negative lens and pressed it into the barrel of my 32 millimeter eyepiece to reduce the overall focal length of that eyepiece and give me more magnification. I used black flock paper inside my telescope tube to absorb stray light. And I put light baffles inside the tube, although in a reflector, baffles probably do not help. I painted the outside of my telescope tube near the eyepiece flat black. So there you have it. Work on your eyes, find dark skies, and optimize your telescope, and practice finding faint galaxies, nebula, and comets. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? A meteor shower is this Friday in the morning sky. 
The moon is in our evening sky. Get out and see the moon. Astronomy Day is Saturday, and we still have those four bright planets in the morning sky. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 122, for May 4th, 2022. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at donTheAstronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that's donTheAstronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We have a lunar eclipse coming up on May 15, 16, so we'll prepare for that. And I want to talk about my discovery of my third comet on May 12, 1986, as I continue my series this year of discussing each of my 12 visual comet finds. In fact, I'll reveal a tidbit about that discovery that I've never talked about before. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.